You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is David Henderson, Group Chief Human Resources Officer at Zurich Insurance. Since joining the company in 2017, David has executed a HR strategy to support culture transformation, focused on delivering tangible improvements in employee experience and on aligning the capability, commitment, and culture of the company to its strategic vision, purpose, and values. Prior to Zurich Insurance, David also held a number of executive roles at MetLife and PepsiCo. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and David discuss the experience of moving from a command and control culture to a more customer-centric and employee empowerment model with a focus on purpose, values, and soft skills. They talked about change management tools and processes from Organizational Health Index and ENPS to new Zurich Insurance Performance Management System and the process of getting 55,000 plus people aligned, as well as how to get buy-in both at the board and mid-management level. We actually learned from another former PepsiCo executive, Cynthia Trudell, who serves on our advisory board about when you implement change and want to create buy-in, you need to think of the why at every level and what motivates the executive to adopt a change could be vastly different from what motivates the frontline level. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today I'm very excited to have David Henderson with us. David, how are you? I'm great, Ron. Good to be with you. You too. It's been great. It was great to see you again. Uh, we were just talking that we had a mutual uh, connection. What a small world, Cynthia Trudell, that used to work with at Pepsi. That, that's right. I worked with Cynthia for, for several years during uh, my time in Pepsi and uh, caught up with her just recently, several years on, and she hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, she's, she is a lovely, intelligent human being. I, I, I always say she's a force of nature, right? Very much so. Yeah, it was a pleasure to work with her and, you know, also to work with her in the HR capacity because she, she was a board member at PepsiCo that had stepped into the HR role. Oh, wow. Business, uh, business perspective. And I think it's really interesting to have a business leader in HR um, at time, at, from time to time. And, and certainly she brought a lot of energy and uh, business acumen to that function at the time. So it was great to work with her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so from there, did you go from there to Chief Human Resource Officer at Zurich Insurance? Or was there, was there something in between? I, I had a step in between. Um, so I followed another uh, HR leader, uh, Franz Heikup was his name. He was the CHRO at MetLife in New York. And so that was my uh, entry into the world of insurance. Um, worked with Franz and the team there in MetLife uh, for about four years. And then I joined Zurich in 2017. So I've been a little over four years here back in, uh, back in Switzerland. And, and just, you know, just give us an overview of, of, for those listening that don't know the business, what does the business do? And give us a broad strokes of, of Zurich Insurance. Yeah, so uh, Zurich Insurance, um, it's a, a multi-line global insurer, um, around 50 billion in revenues, 55,000 employees. Uh, we have businesses uh, across the globe, including in the US. We have two large uh, businesses, Zurich North America, which is our commercial lines business, and Farmers Insurance. I'm sure you've heard the uh, advertising jingle, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is our retail uh, general insurance business in the US. Uh, and then we have a multi multitude of businesses in Latin America, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific. 
um, together with our bank assurance uh, businesses, which we have partnerships with Santander, Sabadell, and uh, Deutsche Bank. Wow, it's a, it's it's a uh, a very large company doing a lot of interesting things. Yeah, it is, and and like like most companies these days, it's a company that's that's going through tremendous change, um, tremendous technological change, and uh, the way in which. Uh, insurance companies and most financial services companies are interacting with customers is a real apex of that of that change. So I think that's really been part of the journey is, you know, managing the performance in the organization, um, but making sure that we have the right capabilities in place to change and adapt um, and remain relevant in a very rapidly changing uh, marketplace. Well, yeah, you know, let's stay on change for a sec because a lot of companies, when 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 they think of change, it's new technologies and reinvesting in the business, putting capital in the business. But it sounds like Zurich took a different strategy. Was look, we're we're at a a crossroad to make an investment, but but there was a choice to choose to invest in the people and culture as the next large investment. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, I think it, I think it goes back to this question um, that we faced in Zurich, and I think it's a question that a lot of leaders uh, in organizations are facing today, which is how can you build an organization that performs flawlessly um, and evolves rapidly? So how do you build an organization that delivers the results you need today, you know, but that also changes fast enough to be relevant tomorrow? And I think for us, the, the decision was we, we were very performance oriented, but there was a recognition in Zurich uh, with our new CEO, Mario Greco, who joined uh, the company in 2016 or rejoined the company in 2016. And, uh, you know, his conviction at the time was we really need to transform the industry if we're going to remain relevant. And what you have in a business like Zurich is you have paradoxically a really high focus on performance. But that does not guarantee that you have a performance moving forward or you're able to maintain that level of performance because the environment is changing so rapidly. So our uh, philosophy, if you like, at that point was we need to focus on performance. We need to focus on running the business, but we equally need to focus on health and really thinking about the health of the organization and the actions that the organization is taking to renew itself and remain relevant where every bit is important as performance itself. So a dual strategy that focuses on performance and health and a strategy that really puts employee experience at the, at the center of that was the decision that we made back in the early part of 2017. And so, so what did that look like from an investment standpoint? Was that, you know, we need a new onboarding technology. We need a third party health and wellness. What, what were some of the actual transactional investments which, which check those boxes? Well, I think it started with a, with a recognition that uh, we, we needed a methodology. Um, we needed a methodology to diagnose the organization um, and then to put it into concrete terms that we could align behind both senior leadership through to frontline employees that everyone could really get behind this. And that we really focused on those vital few levers, if you like, of organizational change that were going to make the difference. So the investments that we, we chose to make, you know, were not immediately apparent until we had gone through this process of really um, assessing and then aspiring to an organizational vision that I think, you know, depended on many more than just one 
uh, attribute. It wasn't as simple as just saying, okay, we're going to change the operating model to address the commercial opportunities that we have. It was rather taking a very holistic view of the organization and then deciding where we wanted to change. And that's why we landed on the, uh, the OHI methodology that looks at both performance and health. I mean, everyone, I think, can get their head around performance. Everyone knows that's what we do is what we, the results we deliver to our, to our stakeholders, usually in financial and operational terms. Health for an insurance company like Zurich was, it was a little more of an esoteric term, I suppose, at the time, but really the ability of the organization to align, to execute, but constantly renew itself. And the way that we, we brought that to life was we used the OHI methodology. It goes back to um, McKinsey Research and a book. Sorry, David, OHI, Occupational Health, yeah. Health and Safety, or am I getting that wrong? Uh, no, OHI, which is the Organizational Health Index. Oh, sorry. Okay, great. Sorry. Yeah. So this is a, it's a methodology that um, was published in a book called Beyond Performance, um, which was uh, you know, a, a book written by Scott Keller and Colin Price uh, around 2011. And it kind of took this concept of creating dimensions, outputs of organizational health, reinforced by the management practices that underpin those. And so it's really, in essence, it's a diagnostic tool, but it then enables organizations to track and, and focus on those aspects of the organization that they really want to, to shift and change. And so we went through that process back in 2017, and we, we saw a, a culture, a health within the organization that was pretty profoundly broken in, 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 in a number of ways. And therefore, you know, it gave us a, a little bit of a call to action to get the senior leadership and the board engaged behind addressing the issues that we could see within, within the organization that we needed to shift. So, so lots of work to do because it sounds like we sampled information. We wanted to get the goods. Where's everybody at? Where do we need to start? And then going to the board senior level leader to say, hey, this is what the information is saying. Here's we need support to move in this direction, right? Correct. And how did that land? You know, because because typically they're probably used to what we talked about originally is, hey, we need to make this capital investment in our CRM. This was different. Yeah, I think for the board particularly, it really was a bit of a cold shower because, quite frankly, I don't think they had realized um, with this level of granularity uh, where the organization actually stood at that point in time. I mean, in 2017, uh, we were benchmarking well below medium. We had bottom quartile results in the attributes of leadership, of motivation, of work environment. And so, you know, we, we really had a situation where our current state was very misaligned with our, with our future state. And it helped us because we could identify several clear group-wide priority areas for, uh, for focused attention. We were able to then drive pretty much a root and branch approach run across the organization to, to tackle those issues. And uh, that really was a sort of call to action for the organization um, to start moving in a different direction. And so when you say, you know, call to action and moving in that direction, you know, with 55,000 employees, where do you start? You know, like that's gotta be a, like, oh my goodness. Okay. We have this information. So there's some broad strokes here, but 
is this, we're going to pilot in this area, try it, test it in this geographic area with this level in the organization? What does it look at? How do you, st- where, where's the starting point? That's got to be like a reverse of a needle in a haystack. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, the starting point is, you, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable truths around the organization. And, uh, in our case, we felt it was the right approach to start looking at this at the group level because we felt we needed one group aspiration, um, whether you're a Zurich employee sitting in Brazil, Korea, or Belgium, you know, you should have a consistent experience of what it is to be, uh, to be part of Zurich. So we started at the group level and we looked at those group-wide themes, but then when we translated into action planning, we actually took it down very much to grassroots level, to business unit level. And also we used a lot of bottom-up ideation. So we wanted to invert the hierarchy and we created a, a, a team called Make the Difference. And Make the Difference was uh, a rotational program. Uh, we took about 30 to 40 individuals at a time from all across the business. We brought them together at our development center here in Zurich for typically five to six weeks at a time. And they worked at specific projects designed to shift the organizational health, as well as we then took the the measurement and the management down to a local level. So you then start to get much more management effort, but you do it in a way that is really concertina behind some core themes that we had agreed at uh, at the group level. Because the org health aspiration that we set you know, was really focusing not on trying to be good at everything and not on trying to um, improve everything that we, that we could see in front of us, but really to cherry pick those vital few areas of improvement that were connected back to our strategy and that we felt would be most impactful in terms of driving Zurich's performance for the long term. So that's how we really went about this from a, from a, from a group and from a leadership perspective in terms of creating that guiding coalition. And when you're saying group, it sounded like these were more frontline people right on the ground that were that were participating in this or not? Uh, yes, I mean, I think I think we we started by looking at the um, outcomes and practices. So the OHI methodology it measures a number of uh, dimensions and, and practices, um, nine dimensions underpinned by 37 practices. And dimensions are the things that employees see and practices are the things that the company is actually doing. Um, What we then did was we took that down to measurement at a local level and we engaged uh, local action planning teams to focus on the results, but focusing on it against that we, we chose six areas. We chose uh, six areas that we felt we felt were most impactful across the organization. So areas like accountability, leadership, motivation, work environment, customer focus, innovation. Those were things that were really critical to our strategy. And that's where we put the focus at the, at the local level as well as at the, uh, at the high level organization. So this sounds like a, a very large shift for the organization versus what it used to do. And so what were some of the big challenges when you were going through, what were some of the things that here's what you know, here's what you don't know, here's what you don't know that you don't know. And, you know, as you tried to execute, what were some of the challenges that were like, oh, wow, we need to move quickly now. This didn't work, or we've learned this that we didn't know. Any stories? Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, one of, one of the things was, was uh, getting our leadership on board because um, a lot of leaders had operated in a particular style of leadership. I mean, more of an authoritative command control hierarchical style of leadership. And there was really limited leadership presence with uh, inspiration. Um, there wasn't really a consultative coaching or supportive style of leadership within the organization. So there, of course, you know, we recognized that we had to invest a lot behind leadership development. We had to amend our performance management practices to focus not just on the what, but on the how. And we had to make sure that everything, everything really synced up so that leaders were acting and getting the feedback that they needed to change and, and uh, refocus their, their style of leadership. So there were a number of very focused initiatives on leadership development, on how we provided the right feedback tools, on how we provided upward feedback to leaders. And then, of course, we also introduced um, ENPS, which was more of a regular six-monthly tool um, with reports back right down to the individual business and market unit level um, that were reflected in leaders' target cards as well. So leaders were actually getting measured on the uh, net promoter score of employees and the experience that they were having. So yeah, that's re real accountability right now. Yes. We're going to actually, that's going to be tied to a, a measurement metric for you. And so when you know yes. that you, 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 you want to deliver. Correct. Correct. And I think, I think that was uh, an important aspect of it. Um, also the, the, the shift in accountability Zurich was, was, back then really quite a hierarchical organization, very focused on managing risk and tracking financials. And, you know, we realized that there wasn't really enough accountability um, in the organization. But then I think it's important to ask yourself, why is that the case? Is it a lack of training? Is it a performance management system? Is it management oversight? And actually, by, by sort of digging deeper and going into the root cause analysis, we, we recognized that there was a culture where um, failures historically had been punished within Zurich. So, you know, we had to break away from that uh, culture because that, that was obviously driving a lot of mistrust in the organization. And so we, we really started to, as a culture, embrace failure more and uh, put it out there that we actually wanted a culture which, uh, where people were taking sensible risks and working within the parameters of a risk management framework, obviously, but pushing the boundaries and, 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 and taking um, more risk if they were doing the right thing and being supported by management, that was okay. So there were a number of cultural shifts that we also had to discuss with people and, you know, we used a lot of communications channels to do this, Ron. So uh, a lot of roundtable discussions, um, a lot of uh, management-led uh, focus group discussions. And then, as I mentioned, a lot of bottom-up ideation as well from individual groups of employees to talk about how they wanted to change the culture and the changes they wanted to see. So, so this had to be, uh, you know, a full court press. And what I mean by that is there's different layers here, right? Because it seems like, or sounds like one of the biggest challenges that you'd be faced with. And, and you said this before is getting management on board. And so, so, so command and control drives accountability down. It sounds like that that was the culture, but once we went into this new uh, culture transformation, there was accountability to be a good leader. That's different. 
how, you know, how many folks leaned into that and how many folks said, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I, I'm a great, you know, tell people what to do, when to do it. There must have been some big turn then that, that people didn't, uh, even though it sounds like you were providing them new training because that's a new skill set for them, but did everybody get yeah. on board? I, I think it's a very astute question because quite honestly, we, we wanted to take everyone with us on the journey, but we recognized, I think, that a number of leaders weren't either going to be capable to to go with us on this journey, or as you say, maybe in some cases just didn't didn't want to um, implicitly. So, you know, on one hand, we developed a program, we called it the Complete Leader Program. It was an immersion program for leaders. It focused on how do you build out these new skills? How do you focus on consultative, challenging and supportive leadership styles? And there was a ton of, a ton of leadership training and support to managers to practice that. But on the other hand, you know, we had to give this some teeth. So we built it then into our performance management philosophy and approach, whereby individual leaders that were not taking this new style on and that were not shifting, um, many of those leaders left the organization um, over this period. And if you go back to 2016, 2017, for example, um, a number of leaders have left Zurich over that period. Um, now, some have self-selected, others um, were selected by the company to, to move on. So I think in any change initiative like this, you have to, you, you have to drive both. You, know, you try to take people with you, but you recognize perhaps not everyone is gonna, is gonna get on board with the change. And the other, the other thing that goes along with that is you also have to build the new capabilities that are consistent with your direction as, a, as an organization. So. We knew, for example, that customer focus was a long way away from where it needed to be in terms of our, our organizational health score and the practices underneath it. So we essentially built a customer office. and We staffed that customer office with people that came oftentimes from outside the insurance sector to bring new capabilities to, to Zurich. We've done the same in technology. We did the same in the innovation and business development areas. We not only brought in new talent, but we acquired businesses that gave us a, a leg up on those new capabilities that we were looking to build as an organization. So it was quite a holistic approach. Mm, and lo lots of change. And I think back to this leadership piece, because, you know, I, I, I'm just envisioning a command and control leader that is just so used to their way or the highway and drive results and to, wow, now I'm being held accountable for the type of leader I am. And, and, and I now need to allow people to, you know, to, to make mistakes and to innovate. And, and, you know, I, you, I have the subtitle of, of the book, Outrageous Empowerment, uh, Outrageous Empowerment I wrote was, was giving you know, the incredible story of giving employees their brains back. It wasn't because they didn't have brains. It was because the industry took it from them. And I feel like Zurich went through the same thing. It was time for allowing people to, to fail, move fast, get creative, have ideas, but that's tough on leaders, right? Yes. And it's tough on leaders that, you know, have grown up in an industry and have, have learned that one way of doing things. I mean, I think this is the issue oftentimes with, um, you know, performance-based organizations. It's, 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 it's when it comes to achieving and sustaining excellence and performance, paradoxically, uh, the focus on performance is what gets in the way. Um, because those leaders are, are, are thinking of investing heavily in those things that enable the targets to be met quarter by quarter, 
year after year. But the things that they neglect are, you know, the investments in, in their people, in their organization, in their capabilities, in the shifts that are required, in their own personal development very often as well. So they've neglected those investments. They've been successful up to a point. And then at some point, you know, if they don't have the ability to change and shift and move, um, they're left behind. And so it, it highlights also the importance of, of, of remaining relevant personally and investing in one's own self-development and having the, the agility to change in an environment that is also changing around you as a leader. And, and I'm curious, when you, when you go through such a transition like that, what is the messaging? So is the messaging, hey, everyone, we know that this isn't the path for everybody, that some of you aren't going to want to do this. We're asking you to, to really make a big shift that you might not agree with, but we think it's the right way to go. And here's why, and here's what's in it for you. Was that message clear? Did, you, did, did Zurich pull the elephant in the room in advance and say, we know some aren't going to make it through? And if not, you know, if you were... If it wasn't done, would you do that going back in time? Yeah, I mean, the talent management strategy had to sit, you know, in lockstep with the organizational health strategy and the leadership capabilities that we wanted to build. So what we did in parallel with this was introduce a strategic uh, talent review process whereby root and branch through the organization, starting at the executive team, which we would present on to the board, but then sort of working down from there through the functions and regions and business units, was creating uh, an organizational template where we would review leaders' uh, performance within the organization, and we would review leaders' capabilities and strengths. And we did that against a consistent framework. So we introduced a set of leadership behaviors. We spent quite a lot of time you know, debating that. We spent a lot of time debating our organizational health recipe um, and aspiration that we took through the organization so that we really got people on board. You know, the more people you engage in design thinking at multiple levels, obviously you know, it has the advantage not just of you get a better product at the end, but it's, it's actually the first step of change management because you're enrolling those people in the, the change that you want to build through the organization. So I would say that, you know, the thing looking back on that period was we introduced a lot of new tools and processes into the organization, but they certainly weren't designed out of HR. And I think had they been, we would have likely failed. I think they were designed by business leaders facilitated by HR and, and that I think made, uh, made a difference because it, it got people on board with the changes and then living those changes through the organization was that much easier. That seems to be a big shift in HR from execution to facilitation and, and allowing the organization to collaborate and, and bring it together versus, okay, I'm going to make the decisions and here we go. That, that's a big shift. I think, it's a, I think it's a shift that um, is important because I think, I think HR professionals have the, the skill set to uh, facilitate and moderate these discussions. I mean, certainly in my case, you know, I, I had I'd learned a lot about how you drive organizational health in organizations. I'd grown up, as we said in the introduction of PepsiCo, where this was much more in the DNA of the organization, this type of methodology. So that was something I could bring. What I didn't have really was a knowledge of Zurich or the insurance industry or 
um, the, the technical components of what it is to be successful in this business. So I think in all HR roles, and certainly we say in, in my firm, you really need to depend on a breadth of business leadership. And, and also, I think what was good about this change, which was different from changes I've managed in the past, you know, going back to the, the Cotter model of change, you build the guiding coalition and you drive it rather hierarchically top down, was so much of this change came bottom up and, and middle out. So, you know, often people talk about the middle management permafrost in organizations as you're driving change. That really kind of suggests a top down approach to change. I think much more if you engage that middle management group, if you engage the employees underneath that, and if you make them part of the change management effort and you connect that root and branch, this can be very powerful and, and very fast in terms of how you can drive change through an organization. Well, well, you said it a little earlier, that's part of the change management process is buy-in and have it, having them involved. And I was going to ask, uh, did you change strategies based on regions, business cultures, but it sounds like this design thinking, you know, bottoms up approach would essentially eliminate that. So, so, so it probably did shift in different regions, but if you, um, as you did, um, you know, talk to those folks on the ground, got them involved and they would have made those shifts for you or, or am I wrong? No, I think, I think, I think that's right because I think, um, we, we, in parallel with this shift, also were going from being a centralized organization or predominantly centralized to a more decentralized model. So the operating model was also changing. But decentralized doesn't mean you, you, you don't have a, a core group strategy and you don't have a core group approach when it comes to employee experience and health and culture and the drivers that you want to uh, have across the organization being consistent. So. I think how that takes hold in the organization is different, though. And I think that's where you try to drive a framework and have flexibility within that framework at a, at a local level. So that's very much the approach that we've, we've taken from a change management perspective across, across Zurich is being really thoughtful about what change can be driven from the group level but increasingly giving the empowerment to the businesses to drive that change, but against a, a consistent framework. And so I was talking about this just the other day, but when you move from, you know, that, that command control, you know, that structured triangle um, org chart to decentralization, the two challenges in some cases are reporting and accountability. How did you balance reporting and accountability? What did that look like post-change? Well, we also shifted um, our performance management philosophy in, in, in parallel here. So um, that was helpful because I, I think going back a few years to that 2016-17 period, you know, it was clear that we didn't have the clarity that we needed around roles and responsibilities in the organization. And there was uh, a performance management system that also wasn't helping. It was actually getting in the way. It was a sort of a fixed force distribution model. Um, and so we moved away from that. We moved also to much more of a purpose, values, and behaviors-based organization. And that really helped a lot because by becoming a more purpose-based organization, and by shining a light on the types of behaviors that we wanted and by putting more clarity through the operating model on roles and responsibilities at the same time, 
think you then start to see more cohesion be, between the way performance is being measured and managed and how leaders are responding to that. So I think all of these things sort of have to work together in, in, in a congruent manner. And I think that was one thing that we managed to do quite well. And, and you had mentioned in a previous conversation that you moved from regional CEOs to a single regional CEO. Is that right? Yeah, it was part and parcel of that of that journey to um, a more decentralized organization. But also, if you move to to decentralize, you have to effectively raise up the capability of uh, country leadership or business unit leadership. And in our case, we also wanted to create an organization that was less siloed. So historically, you know, we would have the the vertical lines of business that would run right through the organization from corporate center to region to business unit, whether that be commercial insurance, life insurance, retail insurance, et cetera. So we moved away from that and we moved to have one country CEO across all lines of business. And uh, that made a big difference because it meant we could engage the customers as one company, not as several iterations of the same company, which was the, the case in the former model. But also we were able to really upgrade the capability of country CEOs by either choosing the, the most uh, and assessing the, the most effective leader in country um, and, and elevating that individual's uh, position, but also by bringing in external talent into those, into those roles as well. So that kind of balance of buy and build uh, talent was, was part of it. Um, it gave us a better foothold in the marketplace to get the best talent in at the country level. And uh, it helped us have CEOs that could really call the shots across the customer universe in, a, in an individual marketplace. But I'm just trying to visualize that. Does that mean that someone was a CEO of the Americas and now it's no, there's a CEO of Central uh North America, that, that type of thing or not? America was always a little bit different for us because we have the farmer's business, which is the retail business in Zurich, North America. But if you take a country like the UK or, or Switzerland, some of those other uh, markets, um, you would have had historically a head of a life insurance business, head of a retail insurance, property and casualty, et cetera. So you could have multiple uh, CEOs in a single marketplace. And now we've moved to more lines of business. We've been able to also leverage our capabilities in market and create one focal point for the, for the business, which is a much more effective model um, in terms of our commercial uh, ability to engage with customers, obviously. Right. So now it's one. So, okay, this was you, the, 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 the pre-change was on lines. Now it's one yes. person managing all these lines can pull this stuff together, see different challenges versus everyone a, a little too narrowly focused in their, in their lane. Correct. Correct. And then you also get the benefit of, of having all the, the functions aligned to that one point of leadership as well. So, you know, you have one leadership team in a particular market across different lines of business. And that's also been mirrored by the changes that we made at the center of the organization. So I think, I think it helped clarify roles and responsibilities. And I think there was much more transparency over the performance of, of individual units as a consequence of that, that change in design law. And so 
So where, where are you guys in the process now? Is that, in, in, look, it's always a journey and there's always something to do, but w- what's next from a people culture perspective? What are the things that you're working on today? Is it still completion of, of the things we're talking about? Or is there, no, we're, we're now on the, you know, we're spending some focus on, on, on the next big, you know, challenge. Yeah, we're, we're not standing still, that's for sure. Um, you know, I think work sustainability for us is, is, a, is a critically important um, pillar of our HR strategy going forward. Obviously, the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of um, technology in organizations. And so we have our own digital strategy, and that's rolling out at pace. Um, that's likely to change quite substantially the skills and capabilities we need within the organization. In some cases, it will eliminate some roles. In other cases, it will augment roles. Um, And the common denominator is that everyone in the organization needs to skill, reskill, upskill, and sort of move with us through these, these changes that we're making as an organization. And obviously, we're also trying to figure out how to do that in a, in a new, in new ways of working adopting our own form of the hybrid work model. So I think this is very much the the task at hand for us is how do we take all our people with us on that journey? Having done so much to improve organizational health and fix some of these issues that I talked about earlier around motivation, commitment, um, how do we continue to take people with us on this next leg of the journey? So that for us is uh, an area of real focus and uh, a tremendous amount of effort and energy going into that uh, topic as we speak. Well, that's great. Well, David, look, uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you uh, dropping in to give us your time today. And um, obviously lots of work has been done and will continue to be done at, at Zurich Insurance and, and, and good on you and your team and uh, for, for, for taking this challenge on because it wouldn't have been easy going through such a transformation like that. Yeah, no, definitely not easy. But I think when you see the results at the end of it, you know, very satisfying and rewarding and uh, a real encouragement for us to uh, keep, keep pressing forward. So thanks very much for the time today, Ron. Really, uh, really enjoyed the discussion. For more information about David, please connect with him on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming book and masterclass, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. And we'll be taking a break for the month of August. So we'll be back in September with another incredible guest.